Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Baseball Mainly. Welcome to Baseball Mainly. Those are my favorite people. I I just I miss those guys. You know, since COVID, nobody's been around the studio. Um, and if they were, I wouldn't know them because everybody have a mask on, and uh, it's it's annoying. I'm I'm tired of this. I just want everybody to get healthy. Let's get a vaccine, a treatment, and go back to some kind of semblance of normal. I'm every day's Groundhog Day. <laughs> Let's play two. Yeah, for sure. That's what I say after every show. Let's play two. Who said that? <laughs> Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks. Yeah, great Chicago Cub. Yeah, we lost him not too long ago, maybe two years ago now. Hey, uh, with me in the studio, uh, Christian Penn, uh, baseball colleague from Bloomfield Hills High School, Bloomfield Baseball League, and now an assistant coach uh, for Gross Point. Is it Gross Point North? Gross Point North, yep. Yeah, good to have you with us, Christian. Glad to be here. And I'm, I haven't done a show in a few months, so this is going to take some getting used to and get ready. But really happy to have you. I know you're a baseball guy. You've let me umpire with you a few times. And, uh, you know, I love being around baseball people because I learn stuff. Yeah. I learn thing, uh, things umpiring with you. That was, that was, it was fun. Yeah, we're going to work on your strike zone. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, I was at a game on Sunday. And uh, my son's batting. And, I mean, he got three pitches that were called strikes that were inside by a foot. And he just, he lost it. If you know, if anybody knows Joey knows he can lose it. And, uh, and, but he walked away, and he just said those were, you know, he showed the umpire where it was, and he walked away. After the game, the umpire wanted to come over and talk to him about it. You don't do that, right? I'm not no. going to talk to somebody about calls after a game. Are get you? The, get to the car. <laughs> yeah, go to the car. Forget it, man. It's over. Yesterday's news. Anyway, also with us today is a very accomplished baseball guy. I've read his uh, Vita, his uh, resume. It's amazing. Uh, David Martin. Welcome, David. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to be talking baseball. David's Christian's head coach at Gross Point North. Is that, that correct? That is correct. The head baseball coach at Gross Point North High School. I want you to know that I am the head baseball coach of the ninth grade team at Bloomfield Hills High School. How about that? So at least I think I, we have Bloomfield Hills on our schedule this year. We do. A yeah, single that? game in a week. Uh, That's right. But it's not not the ninth grade. Do you have a ninth grade team? We do, but I think it's just the varsity junior varsity against uh, against Bloomfield this year. But, uh, but we'll be out there. We're looking forward to it. You know, uh, we, you know, our, our season got canceled last year. Yeah, you know, and and it, this really bugs. Here's another thing that bugs me about COVID. We have tryouts. On Wednesday, we're done with uh, our three days of tryouts. I said, well, let's just get this over with. I don't want to wait till tomorrow yeah. to tell these guys. I know who's making the team. Yeah. And we had, uh, we had uh, I want to say, maybe 23 guys try out. The varsity, uh, the JV coach took uh, two, two guys that were catchers. They were good. I still had two catchers left that were good. I've never – it's amazing. We're going to have a good team. But I said, let's make the cuts. So we, we, we cut some guys. Got there to practice the next day, and they said, oh, we're shutting it down. No season. Now, if I would just waited a day, I wouldn't have broken these guys' hearts. I know what it's like. 
Nobody, nobody wants to feel like they're not good enough. Anyway, so what do you guys do when you, what do you do for, when you cut somebody? Well, that's the toughest thing a a manager or coach has to do. Even when I was coaching in professional baseball or in college or whatever else, the hardest thing to do is tell a tell a young man he's not good enough to be here on the field, and and uh, you take the ball and bat away from him in in this setting. And that's the toughest thing to be able to do. It's different though. I mean, in in high school, uh, uh, you know, these these kids still are, are young and they're growing, and it's hard to take disappointment. You know, but there's a lesson to be learned there too that you end up taking into real life experience as well, right? I mean. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not the things you want to hear, but it's the things you have to hear um, that are going to make the biggest changes in your life. And so us as coaches, you know, certainly being honest and being truthful about our representation of or our expectations of you to be on this team and also what your ability and what your talent level is to be on this team. And um, I feel so many kids today are, you know, with I think it's probably with all the trophies that are given away for just participation and everything else. Everybody has a sense of entitlement to be a, a part of something rather than earning it and really putting the time in or showing the talent to be able to be a part of something. So, again, I think honesty and truth is really what it's all about. And so we make our assessments on our teams, no matter if it's high school or when I was in college or professional baseball. I mean, it's, you know, it's a business up there. It's a transactional business. You know, if a part breaks, you you replace it with another part to, to play that part in the role of the team. But, you know, in high school, you've still got, you know, people growing, you know. But I think truth is really what it's all about. You, know, you look at somebody in the eye and you're truthful with them about what their abilities are and, uh, what you're looking for, what they need to prove on, and if they're not good enough to be here, what do they need to do in the future to improve and stay exactly. in the game and yeah. and maybe try it again someplace else. So, so that's the way we do it. Um, you know, I certainly think at the end of the day that makes stronger men. I think we're we're men builders as well as as baseball coaches, and I think the lessons the game teaches on the field are things that can transfer into into real life experiences. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. I took a guy last year who had. No ability to bat. And was incredibly wild as a pitcher. But he was a lefty. And he was a ninth grader. And he threw the ball above 80 miles an hour. So some tools to work with. And I'm just thinking, if we can just get this guy any kind of control, we got something here. And I, I know he's been working, and I'm I'm hopeful that this next spring he's going to be a varsity player. You know, he'll be an eleventh eleventh grader, and he is an eleventh grader, and and hope, I'm I'm hopeful because I know he's been working on it, and I, I'm sure some of the other guys on it they made fun of him. This guy, you know, the other kids made fun of him. He was very shy, but there was just something about him. I I, I felt like, and and I actually throw had, I made him pitch to some of our guys in practice and he was striking them out and it, it changed their attitude toward him and it and it built it built something in him anyway i i felt good about that and there were probably a couple other guys that had more ability like offensively that were going to be able to do maybe more for the team i had enough guys but this this guy was something about him was special to me you ever run into that yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes those types of kids, all it takes is just somebody to believe in them, give them a chance, and you know, you're not planning a season over one week. You got 38 games, so there's well, definitely was, room to improve. I always tell these guys, you know, Michael Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball <laughs> yep, team when he first went out for it. You know, uh, and and this year, a couple of guys I cut would have been stars last year. Uh, just I had a better crop this year. 
So, uh, David, tell me, you know, you've, you've got professional experience, college experience. Uh, one, of, one of my partners on the show used to sit in that seat, a guy named Ethan Perlman. We called him the stat man. Uh, was a uh, student manager at Bowling Green. There you go. We coached there a couple of years. And, uh, you know, he's a big fan of uh, John Birdie. You weren't there when Birdie was no, there, were you? No. That guy at one time was leading the majors this year in stolen bases. He had one, one inning where he stole three bases. And it's good to have a, a you know, kind of a connection there. You know, he's a, he's a Troy guy, local guy. Um, it, gives, it gives us you know, hope for. You're going to see a lot more of that coming up. Michigan baseball is getting a lot better. Yeah. And it's unfortunate the weather we have here, right? Some of these guys, guys live in Texas, Florida, California. They play all year round. Well, it's funny. We were actually, Christian and I over lunch, we're talking about, you know, when we were younger, what were the big baseball schools to go to if you're, you know, obviously a blue chip type kid coming out of high school. And it was the Arizona States, the Miamis, the Texas, the USC's. And now all of a sudden we're talking about the Vanderbilts and the Michigans and everything yeah. else. So, I mean, things have certainly changed. And, I mean, facilities are getting better. The training is getting better. The travel is getting better. Uh, you know, the kids being able to hop on planes and go different locations to get in the warm weather and different different periods of the season, you know, make that happen. And, obviously, also the push to change the season. I mean, there's been a big push in college baseball to move the season around so the northern schools can compete on, on a more fair playing ground here. And, and they're doing it already. I mean, the northern schools have been fantastic and are really starting to compete. And, and those names like Vanderbilt and Michigan, you know, that have come on the on the scene lately, are are, are really taking advantage of of recruiting and everything else with with the better facilities and the better travel abilities, the, the coaching and the, the whole presentation of their program. So it certainly has changed. The landscape has changed. The landscape yeah. has changed. It was exciting to see Michigan in the in the championship last year, and they went. You know, it was best of three. They won one of the games against the premier baseball program sure. right now, which is Vanderbilt. Um, so what do you guys what do you guys do to get your your kids ready to play? Do you do you practice with them year round? Yeah, well, this year was pretty unique. You know, the high school athletic association gave us sixteen dates that we could use in the fall, which David and I both really hope those don't ever disappear from us because that was vital. Um, we got a an opportunity to lay some groundwork in and work on some of some of the details of baseball. You know, when you think as a coach, you you constantly are harping over the details. Mm-hmm in game but usually they're kind of overlooked in practice settings people like to think well we need to hit or we need to work on our pitching or we're going to work on our defense but you don't work on the small things like first to third defense or how to operate a pick play properly or what types of pick plays are we going to call in certain situations so for us at gross point these 16 days have been vital to work on some of those details that are going to hopefully translate to big outs for us come spring so um this year has been really unique in the sense that we've we got to work real early. You know, we just just finished up last week, had a nice green versus gold game to cap our fall season, if you will. And uh, now we just got to hope the kids don't forget everything over the next couple months. Well, there certainly was a lot of team building at the end of the day, but it's the little things that make the difference. And, you know, one thing we're trying to do at Gross Point North is really create students of the game of baseball. We want very high baseball IQ. And I'm always, I'm always a big guy. You think about the five tools of baseball, which is hitting, hitting for power, fielding, throwing, and running. And uh, a lot of those can be looked at, watched, you know, you know, judged by a stopwatch or a radar gun. But the sixth tool of baseball is that mental side 
out of baseball. And we add that in there, the baseball IQ. How smart of a ball player are you? How do you carry yourself on the field? What's your body language on the field? All those things, you know, uh, are, are relevant and certainly tell tell a scout or tell a potential university that's coming to watch you play is this is the type of player that's going to fit into my program. So this fall was really uh, vital for us, pushing those type of uh, envelopes with the kids a little bit and forcing them to really become students of the game of baseball. And they, and they responded. So we had team-building aspect to it, also pushing the knowledge of the game, um, looking the game through a different lens. I think that's important. I mean, you know, everybody can take their talent so far, but you know, everybody will be a hitter to their ability. But what, what makes the biggest jump? I can't teach this guy to run any faster than he naturally is able to do. It's hard to teach a guy to put a little bit more and, and build velocity. Some of those talents are just God-given talents, and you have them or you don't have them. But the difference, the one thing I can change in a player is what goes on between his ears and how he looks and how he approaches the game of baseball. If it's his, his hitter, he's in the box, and how he's looking at that at bat, what's his uh, what's his priority here? What's he trying to do? Is it a move and run over? Are we trying to sack fly a guy in from third base? You know, I don't want to be a selfish hitter or a pitcher, for that matter of fact, too. You know, who's the priority out on the field is it the batter is it the runner you know who's the priority out where are the situations of the game what's what's going to make the difference for us to come back with a w here rather than a loss and so that's what we're trying to instill in our players today really trying to get in between their ears and try to make them to be you know more students of the game and, and well-rounded baseball players so have you guys been watching major league baseball this year i've loved watching the postseason yeah. this has been a blast so are there players on the field that don't exemplify what you just said? That don't? Well, I think you carry yourself, you know, different ways. I was listening to a, uh, I think, big league. Not just, not just carry, but baseball IQ. Um, you know. Well, the role of the game is different. I mean, I think in the big league, I think it was, was it uh, Earl Weaver said, you know, we're going to sit around and <laughs> wait for the three-run homer. And what happens is you have such great tools in the big league level. I mean, you can do that. I mean, the, the game is so powerful, right, and explosive. And that's really what happens is you get older in the game of baseball. Um, no matter if you're playing Little League and then you move into Pony League and you move into American Legion Baseball, you move into high school baseball, college baseball, pro baseball, the game gets quicker and more explosive, right? And that's the biggest difference that I saw. When I was coaching in professional baseball or college or high school, that's the difference I see in the levels of play here. It's more explosive, more quicker game. At the big league level, they sit and wait for that some of that stuff to happen. They don't necessarily play strategic baseball. We're seeing some of it lately coming back. We're starting to see some bunt games and moving guys over a little more hit and runs and stuff. But a lot of a lot of baseball's taking it outs innings hits and home runs at the big league level, especially during the regular season. You know, the talent's there and you see it. They don't have to scratch a run home. They know it's a long season. You're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some. And they really swing for the fences and that's that's the way I see the game. But when you get into playoff baseball, I think you see something different. Then it gets a little bit tighter. The strategies get a little little more bold, right? And then we're pushing it's one run games that win or lose the game, right? I had an old coach tell me once before, you know, the, the difference between a good team and a bad team is when you look at the record to see how many one-run ball games did they win. You know, how many one-run ball games can you win through the course of the season? You don't see a lot of that in big league baseball. A lot of times during the regular season, you see that 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 difference because they're swinging for the home runs. You see it a lot in, in amateur baseball, too, where you have a team that has so much more talent than the other, you don't have to coach so hard. 
right? But when you get in a tight game, that's when the strategy really comes alive. So the student of the game, back to your original question, was, yeah, that's that's what I like to see. It's more of a college game. You even see it in high school. But that's what I like to see is when the little things make the difference and we're scratching runs through, we're holding guys on, we're working on our picks, we're working on our bunt defenses here. We're doing the little things that make the difference. I think that's what you'll see. Yeah, and those little things that Coach talked about that we try to instill in our players, I think it's a lot easier to see those or find them in big league players versus find guys that don't exemplify them. And for me, when I look at the Dodgers this year, I think of a guy like Jock Peterson. You know, we go back to preseason this year. Jock Peterson was getting traded to the Angels because he was a platoon guy for the Dodgers. He wasn't going to see the field. I mean, we're talking about a guy that coming up in the Dodgers system, I mean, he was going to be the next great outfielder in all of baseball. You know, he was going to be – the next Mike Trout of the West Coast, if you will. Real pretty swing. Yeah, real pretty. Someone <laughs> real, we were talking about real earlier. Pretty, the Will Clark, you real know, pretty left-handed swing. And then for all sorts of circumstances, the trade breaks up. Jock Peterson is staying with the Dodgers. He's going to maintain his platoon role, be a leadoff hitter. Well, wait a minute. We just traded for Mookie Betts. Now you're not hitting leadoff. You're going to be a platoon guy, and we're going to hit you in the 8-9 hole. I mean, that's tough. you got to have some... You know, you gotta you gotta have some unselfish mentality to compete on a team like that. And now we're talking about a guy that's got five, six home runs in the postseason. Could make the argument that he is one of maybe three guys that could be the Dodgers postseason MVP, assuming they you know hang on to the lead they've got here and win this World Series. Well, that uh, the the game before the last game where uh, the two errors were made, they only gave him one, but yeah. the two errors were made in the. Uh, uh, that to cost that cost the Dodgers a game. <clears throat> How would you feel about that as a manager? You know, to me, everything that happened there was done with guys trying too hard. It wasn't that that it was it was bad um, effort mm-hmm. or that it was bad baseball. They just man, the, uh, what's the guy's name? The center fielder. Uh, Taylor. It was Taylor. Chris Taylor, right? Taylor. You know, he looked up an instant too early. And then, the ball. and then the throw to the plate, he didn't realize he had that much time. He yeah. could have just, you know, cream buffed it up. There. I think in a situation like but that. But everybody you're... was trying. I didn't, I didn't have any, if, even if I was a Dodger fan, I wouldn't have any trouble. Or if that happened in a high school game, I would talk to the guys about it. But I'd also say, look, you know, get yourself under control. But I love the effort. I love that you were you were giving it a hundred percent. And I love to see a big league guy giving a hundred percent. By the way, Taylor came up with that ball and made a nice uh, relay, right? Yeah, nice strong throw home. How many? T- and and I realize the Tigers are young and that they're <laughs> they got problems. But how many times have I watched a Tiger game where they just totally missed the cutoff guy? Or they just don't intend to throw it to the cutoff guy. Anyway, that's 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 my gripe. Today. Well, that's, I'm gonna, that's, I'm be fundamental, that's fundamental baseball. But at the end of the day, I mean, we even talk about still today, we were doing player evaluations yesterday with our guys, and we are talking to our outfield core. I mean, the most important thing is being able to hit your cut, man. Everybody wants to show their arm off, right, and they, they don't realize how important <clears> that is. And cuts and relays are really there for two things, stop a man from scoring, prevent a man from taking an extra base. Right. 
And to be able to do that, that outfielder throw has to be the longest of the throws, but you have to hit your cut man. And in theory, throw through your cut man, but you're really throwing right through him, but you got to keep it online, right? When I went to, I was at Major League, I went through Major League Baseball Scout School, and an interesting concept that I learned there when they were talking about evaluating um, outfielders was not just the arm strength, right, or the velocity of your arm, but what was the carry of your arm? How far can you carry a baseball online? So hitting your cut man is super important. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they say, we want to show me your carry, they end up arcing the ball a little bit and then missing the cut Killing man. I mean, every, the birds. Everything's got to be a line drive type throw, right? Well, they're... Yeah, kill, throw, kill the birds, right. Having a great arm is much like being fast. Sure. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you can improve it, right? But there's something about the way you're built. I mean, there aren't too many Al Kaline arms or Roberto Clemente arms anymore. Uh, Dave there are Parker a few, arms. I yeah. keep thinking of Dave Parker in the All-Star game. There right? are, <laughs> Jeff Francoeur is the guy I think of when I think strong arms. You know, Coach, Coach brings up our outfield core, and one of the biggest flaws I see in not just young players but young coaches is when teaching cuts and relays, it's the idea that throw to the cut man. You know, Coach is big on bringing up the carry of your baseball. And shout out Nick Good on our team, D1 commit going to Bowling Green. I think about the outfield throws we saw from him this fall. I can't think of a ball that was, that was pro ever. Level. It's pro level. Yeah, I can't think of oh. a ball that he ever threw home playing right field that was more than seven feet tall. Wow. I mean, the ability to throw through your cut man. I mean, use them as your visual representation of, you know, the that's line. That's your marker, right? Yeah, that's yeah. my marker that's... that I'm throwing through. But you got too many guys that teach these young athletes nowadays that will just throw it to that guy and he'll take care of the rest. And then I think that kind of instills, well, I'm better than that. I'm going to throw over him, you know, and these kids don't realize that killing the birds takes a lot longer than right. just throwing it. Well, this is a great discussion head. for me because I'm learning baseball. I yeah. may be old, but I'm, I'm learning, right? I, I, I started playing baseball when I was like 46. I mean, really playing anything organized. And I play in a local league here. And I play, now I, and I, I criticize guys I play with because I've learned things, and I'll say, yeah, what, what, what are you doing? Do you not? They just don't know, right? And I play with other guys who are really, really fantastic players, and I'm not. I, I, I just love the game. I think that's why we're here, because we love the game. That's why we're here today. Yeah. Uh, and I just learned something. I, I've never used the word carry. I've just, said, I've just always said, throw it through. But I, I get the idea of the ball carrying through. I like that. Right. And everybody thinks that's related to velocity, and it's a big difference, right? And uh, it's, you know, for us, I mean, when we're, when we're scouting the tools, you know, when you go to a game and you see a scout at a game, what does he always have with him? He has two things, a radar gun and a stopwatch, right? So these are tangible things that I can have a, a concrete um, decision as his arm strong or not based on velocity, based on a number from a radar gun or how fast he can run with a stopwatch. But it's the things you need to see, right? And, and carry is something a little bit different to, to evaluate. So, I mean, I think it's something that, that coaches need to see, right? I mean, even if it's a catcher and his pop time, I mean, you can have great velocity, but can you carry the ball to 127 feet, 3 and 3 inches from home plate to second base, or can't you do that, right? So carry is, is certainly uh, important, no matter if you're picking guys in the infield. We're talking about our third base player or whatever else. I mean, you can be a great – Great quick loose arm, but can you make that throw? You know, from the six hole, a shortstop across the infield with velocity and command, or can't you make that throw? You know? Well, at our age, and there's a guy in our league that uh, he's a curmudgeon, 
He's, <laughs> he's annoying at times, but he's a wonderful guy. His name is Robert. Robert always... No, no last names here, please. <laughs> no. Robert, I like Robert a lot. Uh, Robert's a good man. Uh, Robert uh, always says to guys at our age, he says, you've got to be able to throw the ball that 125, 130 feet. That's all you have to do. Don't you, you're, you know, we at our age we're we're not going to throw it from 300 feet to home plate. We're just not right. She's you get that ball. If you, if everybody on your team that's going to be involved in a throw can throw that 125, 130 feet, you'll get the ball where it needs to go, and you'll keep guys from moving. Right? We don't run for you know four four forties. Right? <laughs> we, they might be four minute forties. <laughs> so um, uh, it's all about. The, the log- logistics of the game. It's that baseball mentality, that baseball uh, logic where, hey, uh, you know, we got a, we've got a fast guy in first, um, and he's the winning run. What are we going to do to keep him from second? And if, and, if, and if he is stealing, you know. But isn't that what makes the game so special? Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I think he could go to – you know, a major league baseball game. I've done this on many times where I've been at a, at a Tiger game back in the day, and I'd be sitting there with my son, and I'm like, hey, watch them. They're going to bunt here. And then they bunt. I remember a lady turning to me, how did you know they were going to bunt in this situation? You know, what I'm saying is that the everyday yeah. person doesn't take baseball. They take it for outstanding hits and home runs, like I said before. But really what makes the game interesting is you start digging deeper into that strategy, right? And really what are we trying to do? It could be even as, as in the depth of the pitch-by-pitch strategy, the movement of the players on the field. You know, they don't realize we have spray charts on every hitter out here. We know what their tendencies and what their habits are and what they're trying to do here. Who's the pri- I mean, that's when the game gets really interesting. And if the, if the average fan got deeper into the game, they'd probably find it even more interesting. Because there are a lot of people that find baseball kind of passive. It doesn't have yeah. a time clock to it. It could go on forever, right? We could play two games today. It just goes on and on and on. But, you know, the game of baseball gets really interesting when you start looking at the game with that type of depth. Well, this, the major league guys... <laughs> College guys are incredible athletes. They, there's, there's so much talent there. Uh, Joey played on an 18 and over team this year. They were short a guy. I play in that league, but I don't play at that age group. And he called me and says, "Dad, you want to, you want to fill in for us?" Yeah, I'll be there. So I get there. They're just starting a game. I go out. And I'm playing first base. Everything's good till I have to bat. <laughs> And there's a guy on a mound. He's throwing about 83. I'll hit a little pop-up. I didn't get anything on the ball. Just made contact. Sure. Next time up, they got another pitcher. He's throwing about 85. Strikeout. Last time I bat, there's a guy touching 90. I didn't even swing to bat. It's not worth it. I'm not going to touch it. Yet I've been watching games where somebody said, well, I'd have hit that pitch. No, you wouldn't have. You know, you watch somebody like Justin Verlander, and you can see on TV how much that ball breaks. The guys I play against, the ball doesn't break anything like that, and it's tough to hit. Right. I cannot. The the hand-eye coordination that these guys have is amazing. Yeah, hitting a round ball with a round bat. Yeah. In my opinion, it's the hardest thing in sports. And, yeah. and the things that happen, like I watched a video of Jackie Robinson stealing home. It isn't just being fast. It's anticipation, knowing when to go. There's an instinct to it. 
It's a baseball instinct. Yeah, but also guessing what type of pitch may be thrown in this situation. Yeah, so you're going to throw, throw a, a leverage curveball. It's going to yeah. go in the dirt and whatever else. I remember I was coaching up in New York in the Northeastern League, and I remember it was in one of our championship games, and I stole home on a game, and uh, which got us to the championship game, which ended up losing that year, unfortunately. But we, uh, I remember I had the player do it, and, and that was an exciting play you just don't see you know, ever again. But, again, it was taking a step farther, thinking about what am I going to guess that this pitcher is going to throw here. And I wouldn't steal on a fastball down the heart of the plate or down Broadway, but breaking ball in the dirt, I mean, that's what makes the difference in that type of situation. But you're right about that. You're definitely right. Yeah, you talk about instinct. That really separates the guys that you think are fun to watch yeah. versus the other guys on the field. You think about some of the studs in pro baseball – it's those guys that just have that natural born instinct. You know? know when to take an extra base, know how to make that, you know, that close play and make it happen and yeah. and all of a sudden we got a man scoring position rather than you sitting at first base, right? Cuz we took that long single and we were able to stretch it into a double. For me, one of the fun things to watch is the guys that uh, lead their game with unselfish play. You know, one thing I like to harp on kids at any level that I coach is baseball is an individual sport hidden inside of a team concept, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at all individual moments when we look at it, it's primarily one versus one. You know, am I gonna who's gonna win this man versus man matchup here? And those moments of surprise where somebody sacrifices their own individual accomplishments for the team accomplishment, that's the stuff I love watching. I think of a kid we've got on my youth team I coach. I remember last year we got a runner on third with one out, big game, late in the game. And he hits a lazy ground ball to second. Now most 13, 14-year-old kids are upset right there. They didn't come through with a hit. But this kid, jogging down first baseline, knowing he's out, and he's clapping his hands because he just drove in the go-ahead run. Those types of moments right there, that's what makes me love baseball. Yeah, and as a coach, you appreciate that. Oh, and a whole other level. You know, when you're coaching someone like that and you see that buy-in factor of the, the team over, you know, the individual, you think about the – the old saying, you know, the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back. But to me, those are the special things that kind of separate baseball from other sports because it's easy to get lost in the individual accomplishments. There are two big stars in Major League Baseball that don't exemplify that to me. Really? There are two. I'm going to think Manny Machado is one that's of them. That's one. Manny Machado, that's a definite. He, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. The other one's Bryce Harper. Really? We're just talking about Bryce over yeah. lunch. Yeah. I can see it with Bryce. I mean, I that guy's a whiner. I mean, yeah. it, it's it is all about him. Yeah. And uh, both still young guys. Maybe they got time to learn. Yeah, I hope so. Machado's Both good just, players, though. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yeah, Talk you want about them on they your have tools. They have tools. Yeah. You want them on your team, great, that's for sure. But. Great talent. Right. Incredible talent. It would, you know, it's the same thing that I think of with, um, if you could take, the language the English language of Bryce Harper and give it to Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera would be on every commercial around the country, right? I mean, what a marketable guy, the way, the way he plays, the way he tries. He, he seems he's like friends with everybody. He, he, he's a good image for baseball. But the language thing for English just doesn't, it, it doesn't work for him. Where Bryce Harper, I, I don't want if he's advertising for you, it's not a turn-on for me. Right. Right? And Machado's just – all the highlights of Machado, he's a jerk. I mean, yeah. maybe he isn't, but everything I see, 
I mean, who's the big third baseman that tags him out and he falls down and he's mad because the guy tagged him out? He didn't, didn't like he knocked him down. What's the guy's name? Power hitter? It doesn't matter. Go on YouTube. You'll see it. Anyway, I, I wanted to talk to you guys because something happened has happened since the last time I, I did a program. We've lost six uh, Hall of Fame superstars this year. I mean, besides this COVID junk that's driving everybody nuts, we've lost some great players and, and guys that are really likable. So, you know, local guy here, Al Kaline, he was 85. You know, he said, well, it's a good long life. But, but I'm, I'm getting to a point where 85 doesn't sound so old, you know. <laughs> it's not that far away. But it, what do you think of when you think of Al Kaline? Well, Mr. Tiger, for sure. I mean, he's especially locally made such a big impact, I think, on baseball. I actually remember growing up in Birmingham, Michigan, playing the Al Kaline Baseball League, which I think originally was the Babe Ruth League, and then they changed it to Al Kaline to, uh, to obviously celebrate his career and his impact on baseball locally, let alone regionally and nationally. Um, just a fantastic baseball player. I mean, he's certainly not a player again. What did he make? The, didn't make the big leagues at 18, right? He won the batting crown at. Uh, yeah, he, he came to the Tigers in 1953. One of the last. He never guys. played minor league baseball. I think yeah, he went right to the, the big leagues. Yeah. Right and there the was a, a rule at the time that if the guy got a bonus, maybe it was over so much, you, you couldn't send him to the minor leagues. Right. It was interesting. Yeah. Things have changed a little bit. You know, I, when I met him a few times, I would certainly say he certainly put the time in and promoted the game of baseball, obviously with his career on television and stuff after after his playing career. But I don't think I ever ran into anybody that didn't like Al Kaline. I mean, I just, I mean, great response from him. And, and when I watch some of his play, when I was really little, it was obviously coming to the end of his career. But I remember going down to the old park and stuff that over there in, in, in downtown Detroit and watching him play. And, and I think in the last couple of years, I think he was embarrassed by the type of money they were going to pay him to play baseball. I mean, it was just, you know, he didn't. And feel like that's that salary was was even justifiable and even made a made a big impact about it. But just a great uh, great impact on baseball locally here for sure. And here's something that I think uh, maybe showed a little humility on his part. He finished his career with 399 home runs. runs. Yeah. Most guys would have come back for a couple weeks to hit one more. Yeah. Right? Don't you think? Yeah, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't it funny that stat plays true in a lot? I think about Roberto Clemente too, right? Who unfortunately died in a in a in a, in a plane crash, right? I think he ended his career with three thousand hits exactly. If I'm right on that, I think it was. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it was right. just. It's funny how those numbers are those are those, you know, those landmark numbers in your career. Sometimes those are more relevant than what you think when you look back at history. Well, here's here's a guy we lost this year, and and it's it's very, you know, I'm a fan of my kid, right? Yeah. Joe Morgan died this year. You know how tall Joe Morgan was? Little guy, right? 5'7". Five, 5'7". Seven. Five, seven. My son's 5'7". Maybe 5'8", if, if he's got his work boots on. Uh, Morgan was a great second baseman. But you know what I really appreciated about Joe Morgan? More, you know, I, Obviously, I appreciate him as a player. He was part of the Big, Big Red, Red Machine. machine yeah. Yeah. But whenever you saw Joe Morgan, whether he was on television or playing baseball, often you'd see this incredible smile, like he loved every minute of it. Do you have guys on your team like that, that, that just 
love playing baseball. Definitely. And you want to take those kids and just multiply them. You know, we got one kid on our team that we, as coaches, we constantly talk about, man, if we could just have 12 of him. Right, for you sure. Know? If we could just have a team of that guy, you know, maybe he's just an outfielder, but we'll still find ways to win. You know, you, you love to have those types of kids. The dirt bag just loves the game of baseball, wants to get the uniform dirty. And, you know, there's something about this game, though. I mean, it just brings it brings that little boy out. Have you heard that so many times? And I don't know if it's something as simple as when you're a kid playing catch with your dad in the front yard or collecting baseball cards or following your favorite team or putting a pin, up, pin it up in your bedroom. There's something about the game that builds this culture of just love. I mean, there's a deep – you go to the, the bookstore, there's more books on baseball than in the sports section than any other, any other sport, and there's probably a reason for that. The characters, the people, the stories, the history, there's no other sport like it. No yeah. other sport like it. Handful of years that I've been coaching, probably my favorite experience was taking my group of youth kids to Cooperstown. Oh yeah, uh, was it two years ago now? And we were the Expos at that time, and we went to the Hall of Fame, and they've got like an entire uh, Latin section within the Hall of Fame museum, and there's a couple Montreal Expos jerseys there up go. there. Sure. And just watching the kids, Jim Raines, um, who threw the no hitter for him. Um, well, anyways, watching the kids walk in and seeing their jersey, you know, up on a a hangar behind glass where millions your, of people go to see. Just your kids pretty, probably play on a field nicer than oh, than Expo. Than, what was the stadium in Montreal called? Uh, it, it was just it, it was the a football dome up field. There, yeah. yeah. No, I'm talking about when they way back when it was a football oh. field. Anyway, uh, the old rusty stab years back in the yes. day yeah, when he played for the. Montreal. I remember the ball. I know the park you're talking about. I think it's still standing, if I know right. But yeah, Exposition Stadium or something. Like well, that, that was in Toronto. Exposition. No, yeah, that was I, the Toronto. That's one. right. Uh, it'll. It's escaping me again. I'm old. I can't remember stuff. <laughs> but here's here's a Morgan stat. I never didn't realize he was this fast. He sold stole 689 bases. And Probably not going to see that anytime soon from anybody. The way well, the, the game's changing. The the next guy on my list, Lou Brock, who died this year. Super nice guy. I met him a couple times. Number number two all time stolen bases with nine hundred and thirty eight. Wow. Now people say you know baseball it's not a very physical sport. Anybody who's played baseball you know I, I've gone to tournaments where we play in a seven day period you'll play nine or ten games, and they're nine inning games. Sure. It's, in fact, the tournament's going on right now. The Hobbs down in uh, Fort Myers. I'm spent. <laughs> I'm not only spent, I'm sore. I'm, I'm, imagine doing it at a higher level, a, a hundred times higher level. Well, think about this year with MLB. I mean, you look at the Miami Marlins. They had the first three weeks off with COVID. I think they finished the year playing like 39 games in 33 days. You know, And they ended up making the postseason doing it. Well, think about a regular season where you're playing 200 games, right? Yeah. And... It's got to take a toll on your body, and when you're stealing bases, you're sliding, you're you're running into guys, you're you know, you have to jump up, get to the next base on an overthrow, whatever it may be. That's hard on your body. Besides all the other stuff, to steal over 900 bases. There's not a day off in baseball either. I mean, you think about that during. The, I mean, what was the? Uh, 
Ernie Harwell's definition of baseball speech, which he made, I believe, at the Hall of Fame as well in his inauguration. Great speech. He talked about the, you know, the sweltering August and Septembers and the toll on the body and the old veteran just trying to find his way to get through this still and just the pain and my arms sore and my elbows are hurting. I mean, it is. It's, it's a challenging game. I mean, to think about, we talk about you know managing our pitchers that are uh, dual position players, guys that play shortstop and pitch as well. And you see that a lot in youth baseball and having to manage their arms and their workloads and everything else like that. Picture doing it at the big league level. When you have to do, you have to do it every day. You got to go to work and you have to get your arm loose. You got to get your legs loose. You got to take your batting practice, go through your infield outfield routines, all that every day. That, that, that's a toll. I mean, no other sport does that. I mean, football, you get a week off, right? now. you know, you start going into practice and stuff, but there's times to recuperate. Baseball is an everyday sport, and sometimes you're playing too, which we just talked yeah. about, you know. So. What, what do you think of that seven-inning uh, doubleheader rule where they just play seven innings each game? I kind of like it. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, as a, a younger guy that didn't get to experience, quote-unquote, old-school baseball, because there's definitely a shift in how the game's played, it's, it's really fun to watch have there being, you know, there's no relievers in those seven-inning games. Look at a guy like Trevor Bauer with the Cincinnati Reds this year. He's going out and throwing 120 pitches in a seven-inning game for the doubleheader because, you know, there's there's nothing after it. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of neat to give the younger generation a look at what it used to be. You know, there's guys that have pitched 10 innings straight in World Series games because – there were starters and only starters. There was no relievers. I remember I, I, I met Bob Feller a couple of times, and Bob Feller, when I was talking to him, was talking about how when we got the ball, I was expected to finish the game. So there, there wasn't. There wasn't role guys and and uh, closers and, and middle, middle relievers and everything else. I mean, it was, you're the pitcher, you're supposed to go. You know what I mean? And you start thinking that, and I start asking myself, too, does that, did that create stronger arms? I mean, you think about all the arm problems out there, especially in youth baseball. Is it because we're not throwing enough? You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's a part of it, too. But uh, My pitch for the Hall of Fame is one of my heroes, Mickey Lolich. Mickey Lolich, 300 innings one season. Uh, uh, just... Three World Series complete games, sure. wins. Uh, yeah, you're not going to see that anymore. I'm not going to see it anymore. <laughs> hey, real quick, uh, Whitey Ford passed away. He's from my era. 275 ERA wow. and a whip of 121. However, if you want to put an asterisk by these guys, they pitched before the mound was lowered, right? Right. Bob Gibson, who died, had a 291 ERA with a 118 whip. The Again, original flamethrower. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I don't know if they're going to throw that picture up or not, but Bob Gibson just had an explosive delivery. Just he, And he was mean. It was a violent delivery. Yeah, he was. He was <laughs> and he'd throw inside. And the fact that the Tigers beat him in 68 was pretty cool. But that but, was really, that was the year of the pitcher in 68. That's yeah. why... The mound was was dropped down to ten inches above home plate. Was because really because of Bob Gibson and, yeah, Gibson and some of those had, numbers that happened with the pitchers had a low uh, ERA of like one something that year. Right. And McLean won thirty one games that year, and I don't think that's happening ever again, uh, unless something dramatically changes. But Bob C- uh, Tom Seaver passed away this year too, and uh, whenever I see somebody with uh, dirt on their knee. I think of Tom Seaver. He got he pushed so far and so hard that he'd get dirt on his knee. Do you remember where he played college baseball at? Was he Eastern? 
No, he played at uh, USC, University of Southern California. Yeah, USC Trojan. But the thing about the Trojans, I'm just digressing for a minute, but thinking about him and, and being a kid, he was a, real, he was a real smart ball player. But back in the day, there was there was a, a college baseball co- coach, his name was Rod Dado, right? He ended up being the Olympic coach for Team USA in 1984, but he was the head coach of USC. There was an old story that the USC team back then, which was full of these Hall of Famers and big leaguers, could have beat any Major League Baseball team at the time. But Tom Seaver was one of his was one of his aces on that team. Tom Seaver was an amazing pitcher and pitched for the amazing Mets yeah. when they won the World yeah. Series. Well, you know, we're we're getting down to the point we're going to have to wrap this up. Maybe we could get you back sometime. You guys are. Uh... I'm learning baseball, listening <laughs> to you, and and I love it. And uh, you know, I know you asked me to umpire a few games this year where I couldn't. Don't give up on me. I enjoy yeah. umpiring, uh, though I did have somebody really upset with me that I didn't call more strikes in a game. Uh, uh, a game I did. You're a few, never going to make them all happen. A few yes. weeks ago. You know uh, what they say? They say there's there's multiple strike zones in a game of baseball. There's a hitter, there's a pitcher, there's a coach, there's a rule book strike zone, but the only one that matters is the umpires. <laughs> well, he, the guy says, now the guy's sitting in the dugout, right? And he says, that one pitch was right down the middle. And he's talking about a breaking ball that came in like that and ended up in the uh, left-hand hitter's batter's box. And, and I, I couldn't call it a strike because it wasn't even close, but... Uh, in his mind, it was right down the middle, and I'm an idiot. So that's life. Uh, I can take it. I'm a big boy. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for coming, Christian. Uh, really good to see you. Yeah. Dave, nice to meet you. Pleasure. Thanks for having uh, us. And there's so many things I'd love to talk to you about beyond what we talked about today. So maybe we can get together again and do it again. Count I'd on. love to do it. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, uh, Chelsea and David in the booth. Appreciate your hard work. And uh, thanks, guys. This is Just Monticello for Baseball Mainly saying, let's play two.